Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. On October 22, 2019, I had a conversation with Larry Fedoric of radio station CKTV of St. Catharines, Ontario, where we discussed a 20-hour non-stop flight conducted by Qantas from New York to Sydney, where they were testing out ideas for how to make such flights viable in the future. The Larry Fedoric Show on News Talk 610 CKTV. Nineteen hours, 42 minutes from when the door locked at JFK to when the door popped open in Sydney, Australia. Virtually a 20-hour non-stop flight. Qantas carrying out this test flight on the weekend. Longest non-stop commercial service. On board, mostly researchers looking into jet lag, wear and tear, these kinds of things. Not only on pilots and staff, but on themselves as well as passengers. Our guest is from airsafe.com, Dr. Todd Curtis. Hello, Dr. Curtis. Well, good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming on again. I was kind of surprised that there weren't 20-hour nonstop flights around. I just assumed that that was already happening. I guess there aren't. Well, there are a variety of flights that are substantially long, not as long as 20 hours, 15, 16, 17 hours. But it's a question of technological capability. Uh, There are jets out there that can fly for 20 hours but not necessarily with enough passengers and cargo to make it worthwhile for the airline. I see. Now, this was a Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner? That's correct, which is uh, designed to be a longer, um, have longer uh, flight legs than some of the earlier aircraft models, especially the 747 and 777. But the fact of the matter is, even the 787 has its limits. For example, this uh, flight the other day from New York to Australia, it wasn't a full load. It was a test flight of sorts, and they had substantially less than a full load. I think only about 40 passengers and crew, and about 10 crew or so. So this is not an example of something that could be done tomorrow. Okay, and that I believe that was specifically for weight, for uh, of use of fuel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Well, that's correct, because the 787 can hold on the order of 200 or so passengers and all their their, uh, cargo. And simply you can't do that, at least not now, with the aircraft at a full fuel load. Depending on the demand, it's possible they can have less than a full load of passengers and still make a profit on that route. But that's something for Qantas to figure out. Exactly. But in the meantime, they're pretty sure that it's going to make it. You can't, it's one of those things you can't run out of gas and pull over to the side of the road in a Dreamliner. That's correct. There are very, very specific uh, limits as to what you can do when it comes to flying internationally. That is, there's a certain amount of fuel you have to have on board. You have to have, have, to have enough fuel to go to an alternate airfield, have enough fuel to fly an extra period of time, maybe a couple of hours. And even if you get to the airport at your destination, you have to have enough fuel to hold for a half hour or so, just in case you have to divert for weather or what have you. Mm-hmm. Do you know, Dr. Curtis, is this the longest uh, space between two major cities? I, I, I imagine not. Oh, is, there, is there a greater distance of commercial cities out there? I believe a greater distance, at least for Qantas, would be from London to Sydney. Uh, right now, they have a service from London to Perth, but Sydney's about, I believe, 2,500 miles to the uh, east of uh, of Perth, so they don't have a, uh, a flight there yet. But that would be a longer leg, I believe, than even the New York to Sydney route. 
Wow. Okay. Uh, and researchers were on board. So there's the there's a lot that goes into, I guess, safety, and then can the airline make it profitability, as you mentioned. But what about the wear and tear on on crew and and staff? Apparently. Well, on crew and specifically on flight crew, that's something that's been well practiced for a number of years. The standard way that the airlines take care of this is they have essentially more than one crew on board. For example, this flight had four pilots on board, essentially, and I don't know if it was this case, but normally the first pair of pilots would do the takeoff and the landing, and the second pair of pilots would do the bulk of the work in between. And that's typically the way it's done with long international flights. You cannot have pilots working continuously, let's say, for more than 12 hours. But you can have a break between when they work and have someone else fly in between. Even 12 hours sounds incredible to me that you would be in charge of an airline and passengers for that amount of time. Which is one of the reasons why very few people become senior airline pilots who can do that kind of flight. It takes a lot of training, a lot of experience, and a, a, a level of discipline that most professions simply don't have, where you have to be on top of your game for 12 hours at a stretch. So this whole idea of the plane flies itself is not really something that they they take in that attitude, if you will. Well, the automated systems on an aircraft, of which there are many, are absolutely essential to do any sort of airline flying in the modern era, especially with the kind of navigational requirements that exist uh, around airports and such. But at the same time, the pilots have to, at any given moment, take control of the aircraft with some or even none of the automated systems working. Hmm. And, and by the way, this Dreamliner, a Boeing plane, was never there was never any safety issues with it. Uh, hasn't been since it started to fly. Well, actually, there were some very serious safety issues with the aircraft. I believe in 2013, uh, there were a series of in-flight battery fires, which fortunately didn't result in any serious injuries or deaths. But the aircraft was grounded for several months in early 2013 until that battery issue was addressed. In the six years since, uh, that that problem has not reemerged. That's right. I do remember that. My gosh. Okay. Now, they did a lot of research on jet lag. I want to ask you first about uh, pilots and crew. They, they must go through it a lot. Well, absolutely, because in the world of aviation, essentially it's a worldwide endeavor. And you can have a pilot who lives in one time zone is flying to and from a location that's seven, eight, or nine, ten time zones away. So there's a lot of work that the airlines go through with scheduling pilots, make sure that their sleep-wake cycle is congruent with their actual work cycle, and there are limits as to how much you can change a pilot's work, uh, work habits. For example, going from first shift from, let's say, nine to five to you know graveyard shift, uh, one can do that in one day's time, but the average human being needs several days to adjust from one to the other. And if there's not enough time to adjust, there could be fatigue and other issues that creep up. Anybody who's ever worked shift work knows that, and that's feet on the ground shift work, you know, so it's pretty incredible. And although this isn't the uh, the flying profession, the medical profession is uh, notorious for having uh, staff on duty for 24 hours straight in some cases. And yes, that's part of their training, that's what they do, but the uh, fact of the matter is, as good as a physician or pilot may be, human beings have limits. And if you don't uh, recognize that and put in structures in place organizationally and otherwise, it could lead to mishaps. So with all this, uh, they have to work out profitability. They had in this test flight special lighting and exercise and special meals coordinated and everything. 
Boy, that's a lot to do. I mean, I guess Qantas feels really if they can get this going, it would be profitable. Well, the special uh, situations that they had were for the passengers primarily because, as I was saying before, the flight crews already have this uh, well-practiced and have for decades. But one of the things I noted when I looked at what they were doing there, they were basically – making the situation a little bit different for the average passenger. Instead of doing what's normally done, especially in business class on a long-distance flight, you get on board the aircraft, they start feeding you and uh, giving you alcohol as soon as possible. And that may not be conducive to being uh, ready for action when you land 15 or 16 hours later. In essence, they were telling the passengers, instead of eating and going to sleep, we're going to have you on the schedule of Sydney right after we take off, we're going to encourage you to stay up for several hours and only go to bed later on. It's more like the normal bedtime in Sydney. Mm. Well, it's an interesting test flight, interesting experiment, um, and uh, some great insights here from uh, yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. Curtis. Well, thanks again for having me. Dr. Todd Curtis, aviation expert. He is from airsafe.com. For more on airline safety and security, please visit airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.